Welcome. What's going on, man? Welcome. First podcast doing? of October. I think this is podcast number four. Number four. Number four. Last week we had our last podcast. We had Krista. Yep. She was great. She I'm wants, enjoying these she, things. She wants to do it again. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's nice yeah. to be able to just sit down and kind of shoot the shit. And I think Jill wants to come on next. Yeah, and I think we should Mix still, it up. you know, bring in some outside people every once in a while. I really liked having Martin on. That was informative for a lot of people. I think. I think there's been a few people we've talked mm-hmm. to that want to come on. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, October markets. Still a little slower than normal, but that's also kind of par for the course for the time of year too. Slower than normal, slower than the last. You know, it's funny though. Every time I think that though, then you know, we were talking to one of our other team members, Zach, yesterday, and he's like, "Well, there was 19 offers on that house that we wrote on, you know, so that's still there." Depends. Depends on the house. Depends on the price range, the listing price. I think it's slowing down optically because some people are switching the strategy from the low price strategy to more accurate yeah uh, to what the house is worth so i wonder if it just seems like it's slowing down because some houses are closer to what they're worth and then they get only a few offers on them instead of 20 because they're not two hundred thousand under asking <laughs> yeah again it goes back to what your strategy is for listing a home i mean you can mm-hmm. you can list it for i still think we're going to start seeing people listing for like a dollar I didn't somebody just do that? Yeah, I think I heard I th- that, I but think, I didn't see it. I didn't see it either. I feel like it would have hit the news if it really happened. Yeah. I don't know if that was true or not. Uh, but someone in Toronto did it. Someone in Toronto did yeah. do it. I showed that to you, I think, a few months ago. What was the outcome? I don't know. I don't know what the outcome was. I'm going to look at um, the outcome. It's an interesting thing to think about because, um, you know, it it's such a mental, it's such a mental scramble uh, for, for buyers when... Things are listed all over the place and they don't know which way is up. And and this is the importance of working with a realtor when you're navigating a market like this, because we have a pretty good idea of what these houses are actually worth. And we've got to do our homework and figure out what it's worth. Um, but when you when you list it like a hundred thousand less or two hundred thousand less, it gets in a buyer's head and they think, well, I don't want to have to pay. $200,000 over the asking price, right. even if that's what the house is worth. Right. But, but what he... but what happens when you list a house for a dollar, the, the mental gymnastics kind of go out the window because now that buyer knows they're not going to get the house for $1, right? Mm-hmm. So now they're going to lean on the realtor that they're working with a lot more to say, right. well, so then what is this house actually worth? My, right? my concern with that is if mistakes are made and appraisers come into the right. equation, when you list something for $1, the opinions on what something can be worth subjectively, right. the field of view could be so wide. And when an appraiser comes in, that's one opinion. And if that appraiser's opinion is not in your field of view, then we're going to have a lot of issues on financing. That, that That's just opening a can of worms. It's an auction at that point, obviously. You're right. Yeah. It turns into an auction. That's um, exactly what happens. I don't know. How, I don't know. It looks here originally listed um, the now unrecognized home in April for one point four. It was uh, <laughs> look at that thing. Just... <laughs> price at one dollar seemed laughable considering the state of real estate market. As it turns out, a recently renovated home it was listed for exactly that. And did it say it went for one point four million? I, I, that was what it was. Could you imagine being like? 
I'm going to go 1.4 million over the asking price because <laughs> the asking price is a dollar. Well, so that's what it, yeah, you mean. The gymnastics are out the window because you know it's clearly not a dollar. So now you have to price it. And it makes me wonder how many people were at one or 1.1 because the house needed a shit ton of work. And well, to somebody, they might say 800. They might say 900. This, this is an interesting um, topic as well. Uh you know, you'll always see things, and this is a prime example of it, this one you're looking at here, because it was a dilapidated house in Toronto. Um, you'll always see those big stories pop up in the news that say, you know, um, absolutely trash home in Toronto lists for, you know, 700, gets a million dollars. It's on like a 20-foot wide lot. It's, it's this, it's that. And then everyone starts getting on the comment section on these news articles and they're like how could a piece of crap like that sell for a million dollars like what's going on in this in this market in this world and what people have to remember is that land land is a finite commodity and land in specific areas around the country is worth more than land in other areas around the country. Right. So when you look at a house that's completely falling apart in Toronto, that's listing for that and selling for a million dollars, it's not the house. Mm -hmm. You know the person who's buying that isn't buying the house. They're buying a prime right. lot. Well, some, some sometimes the, the, it might have sold for more if it was just the land. Right. Because, because the, they've got to pay the demolition costs. Right. If it's that condemned. Right. So yeah. it, it's just... I've just found a lot. It's 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 really with our clients and or with my clients. Um, you spend a lot of time having to kind of explain. Look, you know, p throw any preconceptions you have about this out the window. Let me, you know, help your mind understand what's going on in this market because it's not as as wild west as you think it is. It's just different strategies being used by different people. To, to try to get the seller the amount of money that they think they should be getting for what that house is worth on the market today. Yeah. Right? That, yeah. That, that's really what it comes down to. And everybody thinks, you know, to win this home, I have to overpay. No, you just don't have to win. Right. Like you, we come in with a number that we believe it's worth. You put a hard stop. And if somebody pays more than that comfort level, either that your comfort level, there's there's two different levels. There's the, what the comfort level, what the market probably predicts it to be worth around and that you need to stay under. But there's also your comfort level. If somebody's just not comfortable going over a certain price, we're not going to tell you to go higher than your comfort zone. Um, so if somebody goes and pays a crazy price for a home, the only way you're losing is either one, they paid more than the market suggests or more than you're comfortable spending. And at that point, you just say, okay, we have to move on. Yeah. And... I think you're it, it, the whole predicting of what houses are worth. It all comes down to homework, statistics, numbers, and if you do your due diligence and you look at the market with your agent, you're going to be safe. You're going to be fine. Um, but that doesn't mean you're going to win. No. And if you don't win, you're going to have to just kind of come in with the mindset that it's not yours until it's over. And and if you, there's going to be losses and heartbreaks and it's you're gonna have to wean your way through the market and finally I get. I feel something. like we could talk about this every single week, yeah. and we usually do touch on it a little bit because it's the hot topic in in um, in in the world right now, well, at least in Canada. Yeah, because real estate is such a hot commodity and it's increasing at such a rapid rate. Um, but you know, it's it's it takes a lot to derail that, and I don't personally see. 
big things coming down the pipeline in the near future that will stop that it. will stop this train right now. I think I think the morale of buyers is starting to go down a bit. And yeah, that'll th- maybe curb some of the demand. Yeah, I think that everybody's just kind of getting fed up with the market, the lack of supply, people trying their hardest to get a home. Some people have given up and they're like, you know what, I'm taking a break. And then they come six months back from their break and the market has gone up, you know, 10 to 15%. So now they're even more upset about how everything's going. And COVID is not helping. No, that's, and COVID, COVID, you know, hasn't helped anything. Right. Right. Like we're still navigating this. Yeah. We're still navigating every other thing that comes along with it too. Like we're, we were just talking about the border. Yeah. The, I mean, I can't figure out what's happening with the U S border and like, because they just relaxed their travel restrictions internationally. Right. Which means fully vaccinated people from other countries can fly into the United States as long as they have like a negative test 72 hours prior and their vaccination status. Um, and actually, we can fly into the states from Canada as well under the same rules. But just to fly. But we can't drive across the border that's, you know, 15 minutes from my house. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think everyone at this point can't really figure out the logic behind that. Um, I don't know if it's a manpower thing. I don't know if if they just don't want to be bothered having to deal with checking those things at the land borders. But I would argue that it's safer to cross the border in your own vehicle by yourself and come into the United States that way than mm-hmm. it is to get on a plane filled with 250 people right. and arrive. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it just like you, you have to have the same things. You just, you have to have your vaccination status. I'm, s- and... I'm selfishly upset about it. I just want to go back to well, the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Be- because I, so I used to live in Toronto. I lived in Toronto for eight years about and i mean things to love about it you know going to sport events going you know having you know big shopping having you know tons of restaurants and and bars and things to to go to i mean detroit has all of those things and it's literally on our doorstep like Mm -hmm. we are basically almost a suburb of detroit camping golf right you name it everything concerts Pretty much everything that's fun. Yeah, pretty much everything that's fun. Yeah. So, I mean, we like, I just can't. And it's hurting. It's hurting them, too. It's hurting mm-hmm. these border towns. It's hurting something like Detroit. Not just Detroit, but like, you know, down by Niagara Falls. You know, the, all the these Buffalo major. Border. Yeah, these yeah. major border crossings. These their their tourism is being really. It's crazy. Affected by yeah. this. Um, how much do you miss Bonnaroo? <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about this. Um, for those of you who don't know what Bonnaroo is, it's a giant music festival in uh, Tennessee that happens every year in June, which is one of the hottest months of the year. Except last year, I think it was September. Well, or something like that. Yeah, they moved. They moved it so that like th- this is the story. I I started going to Bonnaroo in 2013 um, with some friends, and I went for the next three years consecutively, and I think. And this was before I knew you. Yeah. I think you were at all those same Bonnaroo's. I was. I went to 2011, 2013, 14, and 15. Yeah. So I did yeah. 13, 14, and 15. And we didn't yeah. even know each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is hilarious. Um, but but I actually went with some friends who were clients of yours. Melissa and Jake. Yeah, Melissa and Jake. So 
Um, who are now clients of yours. Who are now clients of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I miss that so much. Music festivals are, are another world. And I'm thinking of the names that I saw there. I, I saw Neil Young. Oh. I saw Tom Petty. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Elton John. Elton John. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Alfred and Sons. <laughs> Jack Johnson. Yeah. Like, like you could go on and on. All and the on way to on. like Eminem. Yes. Kendrick Lamar. Yes. Like, yeah. Macklemore. I think I saw Little Wayne. Like, I, it's so weird when you can go from Lionel Richie to Little Wayne in a half an hour. Like, I, the, I pla- the place is wild. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're in the backwoods of Tennessee in Manchester, about an hour outside Nashville. So you get. Did you ever visit Nashville while oh, you were yeah. down? Yeah. Yeah. I love um, Nashville. So we went. We would always go to Nashville for a day or two. Then we would drive down or like hitchhike basically to Man- Man- Manchester. The first time I went, we showed up in Nashville and me and my buddy had no idea what we were getting into we had like i think all our food our shit our tents and our heat pods our tents um <laughs> yeah and uh we called swift services and his guy his guy name was jeffrey swift and my aunt lives in nashville and we're staying at her place and she's like do you need a ride to Manchester? I said, no, Swift's driving us. And some guy named Swift picked us up and dropped us off at the Kangaroo Motel outside of Bonnaroo. And I remember like texting either my aunt or my mom or my wife now and saying, we're all good. Just got dropped off by Swift at the Kangaroo Motel. I'll probably lose reception and talk to you in five days. (laughs) And that was the last text they got from us. And we walked in. And I didn't realize how far still we had to walk in. And we were like holding all this stuff and all these bands of hippies are driving by. And we finally get in there and we pitch our tent in Tent City. Do you remember Tent City? This is like, for for those of you who don't really, can't really fathom this, Bonnaroo to me is like a modern day Woodstock. Yeah. There's about 100,000 people. It's really hot, but it's a dry heat. So we would put these little tents up in Tent City and we didn't realize we were so undersupplied. Our our apples that we bought and brought just like we, rotted immediately. They like boiled. <laughs> we they, we boiled our apples and we would get out of our tents at like six a.m. and sleep on the side of our tent because it got so hot oh, in our yeah. tents. We'd sleep that on the, the side. That was a common experience yeah. for all of us. And then you would kind of like move around your tent as yes. as the sun would. Shift. Well, see you. So like. We were pretty prepared when we went. Like we had like those easy up things that we could. We made because there was four couples, so there was eight of us, and we had like this sort of central area that we had our tents all around. Yeah, and we laid out tarps in the middle, and we put up easy ups in the in the middle, and and then. uh, But yeah, you'd have to get out of your tent at like seven a.m. because you would cook. If you didn't, so you'd, you'd get out and I mean, a music festival is a music festival. You know, you're not feeling the greatest the next morning ever, no. any, any morning. And you get up and you just, we would just lay under the easy ups in the middle, like trying well, your hardest. Your to... mornings are your nights yeah. and your nights are your mornings. Like I found my day really, truly started at about five to six. Yeah. And you'd go to bed at four. Yeah. And you would sleep till two. It was it was really ass backwards, but the I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like no. it was the, it, it, you you don't know until you get there and if, you know. If you haven't done a music festival, you need to do one. But that's another thing that COVID is is hurting. And actually, you know what's really sad this year? Um, oh man, they got so just such bad luck. They they moved. 
they had to cancel last year because of COVID. Yep. Um, which is a big undertaking to, to cancel what something happened? so huge, right? What happened? Well, no, but they, so, so. Yeah, so I know they moved to September. No, but that was like, so I'm talking about 2020. Like they canceled 2020 because it was COVID. Nothing was going on, right? Okay. They couldn't do it then. So they understood that. Yeah. But then they, they said they're going to be back in 2021. They got to early 2021, kind of saw the outlook of what COVID was doing and said, okay, we're going to shift from June to September, hoping it would, hoping that things get a little bit better, which they were in, or at least in the States, the States thought things were getting better. I mean, they're still posting crazy case numbers, but, um, they, they were going ahead with it anyways. And then that big hurricane hit the Gulf coast and moved up through Tennessee, literally the weekend that they were having the Bonnaroo that they had moved. So they just got rained. They just got rained. So out? it got so the, the, festival hadn't even started yet but they had moved everything in they had everything set up people had their tickets and their cars loaded people were driving to Bonnaroo from all around the country and like the day before they had to cancel it because the grounds were literally under like two feet of water holy imagine canceling something like that there was probably going to be 120,000 people this, there this farm that it's on is only for Bonnaroo basically yeah the guy who for. the guy who owns it or the people that own it are um I, I mean i i don't know what they do with it the rest of the i don't think the they year. do anything i think some of those stages the two permanent ones the big ones stay i think there. they stay there yeah yeah i think i think they prep that thing all year round in the warm wheat season i wonder what a, i wonder what if something like that is worth in the real estate world Oh my god! Like the Bonnaroo farm. Like, what if that guy one day was like, "I don't want to do this anymore." Yeah. Like, yeah. let's list the the well, Bonnaroo farm. It's huge. I think it's there. Huge. I think there would just be subjective value on the fact that it was the Bonnaroo farm. You're right. Because it's it's a famous, it's a famous enough music festival now. Like it's up there with Coachella and Burning Man. Yeah. So yeah, yeah exactly. If you're yeah. if you're wondering about Bonnaroo, it's it's as big. Or, or bigger than than Coachella, and Coachella is the one that everybody knows that's in California. But even if you haven't heard of it, there's 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 a reason Paul McCartney's played there, and there's a reason Eminem's gone there, right. and there's a reason that all yeah. these big artists that we named have played this place. It's not because it's a small venue. This I had is... tickets to Lollapalooza um, in 2020. Oh, good. It got, got, got canceled. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't go. The only thing that would take away the experience of Lollapalooza or Oceaga or any of those is you have to stay in a hotel at night i know it's and a different you, experience it's a different experience yeah. like i kind of like the rough in it of course yeah but as we get older and that's what i find it's like uh, i'll get an rv have, yeah maybe in vip camping or in an rv or something yeah, yeah. with air conditioning or have you ever heard, heard of the party it. like a rock star pass yes it's eight thousand dollars a ticket oh my god it might actually be worth it so eight thousand dollars they pick you up in a limo at the airport they drive you into Bonnaroo in your own wooded area, like the only wooded area in all of Manchester, Tennessee. <laughs> There's no trees. Um, and if there is a tree, literally the shadow of the tree is outlined by humans that are sleeping in that shadow of the tree. Yes. It's hilarious. There's like a, a actual tree-shaped shadow of humans when you're there because everyone's just trying to get shade because um, the daytime is a little miserable. But So anyways, you get picked up by a limo. You're driven in. You get dropped off at your own RV in the woods with your own sous chef on site that cooks your meals for you. Oh my God. You have your own golf cart with a driver that drives you to your shows and all shows you're allowed to watch on stage. 
Oh, so that's where all the people that are on stage yeah. on, on side stage and everything yeah. are, are coming from. The sound wouldn't be very good up there on stage. No, but... The experience also, would be cool. You also get to watch some pretty awesome bands yeah. play the right the experience on would the be cool. And I, and I would imagine you probably yep. get to like meet and greet some of these these people too if they're... But if you had the money to spend, it's kind of a like cool once-in-a-lifetime experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And like to have your own chef and all this. I know somebody that went to Bonnaroo and flew in on a helicopter. He like landed on the grounds in a helicopter. Oh my God. Just get out of the way. I'm landing. I'm here. <laughs> we drove in on a in a U-Haul. We rented a yeah, U-Haul from yeah. Windsor and drove in and we slept like sardines in the in we the U-Haul. We always drove in in my in my band's like big comfy like mm-hmm. 1980s van. Yeah. You know, one of those conversion vans that had like the back folded down into a bed. Yeah, yeah captain's chairs and you could put tables in it and stuff that was cool so quickly now you because you don't have bonnaroo you do what do you call it uh oh yeah yeah. oh god yeah this is cool so (laughs) yeah um so desperate (laughs) last year 2020 we got to the summertime and, and friends of mine own a house on cabana with this huge backyard, like a park-like backyard. And uh, so so I came up with the name Cabanaroo. <laughs> not Bonnaroo, but Cabanaroo. And we set up this huge, like, well, not huge, but huge for us. Yeah. Festival in their backyard. And we put yeah. up all our tents and we... You have live music? Oh, yeah. Well, I play. I play and, and, and all of our buddies yeah. who, who play would get up on stage and, and play music but you then get... the rest of it this is cool the rest of what we would do one of our friends um nick would would basically pull everybody in the group and i think there was probably 30 or 40 of us and ask us each to pick two bands and pick four or five songs each from those bands and he and he curates an entire playlist and that playlist and then and then he writes it all down on a set list his his wife and she like makes a huge set list down with what bands are playing on this playlist and then that's the music that'll play throughout the day so you'll know when certain bands are coming up and oh that's hilarious so is it yeah. just audio or does he have like live shows yeah on it's like just, a projector? just just audio i think i think live we'll, shows on a projector would we'll be get cool. there we'll yeah, get there because yeah. this year we did big red barnaroo <laughs> at our friend's place their new um acreage out um between like leamington and kingsville uh they were both different experiences um big red barnaroo felt more festival like because you were out in the middle of yeah nowhere next thing you know you're selling tickets and right? you actually have a yeah festival. yeah so so that's that's the funny thing as we as we all get these properties mm-hmm. in the city, you know, like our friends on Cabana got that a few years ago, and the, and these guys out in, mm-hmm. in near Leamington got it like last year, just mm-hmm. last year. Um, we're, we're we're finding ways to yeah to to make these things happen at home, and it's, it's like fun. Take the barn and make a scare house for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So we were, you know, we were trying to come up with topics for for uh, this podcast today, and I think one of the things that you know we we all agreed on was it's october now and we're getting closer to halloween and maybe we can talk about some like haunted housey type things yeah um and sort of touch on maybe what we think 
the value, how you would value something that's like the Amityville house or, or I don't know what, are, what other like famous ha- haunted places. The Amityville, Adam's family, <laughs> like any, any of those like cabin in the woods, oh, like geez. all those things. I'm going to pull up. Um, Do we have a lot of haunted houses like in Win- Windsor and Essex County? Like other haunted places? I don't know enough. I'm, I'm not from here, but. Um, are there well, like have, you, of... have you heard of Texas Road? Yeah, my, my that's, wife told That's me the about only that. thing that I kind of like. What's the story for, with Texas Road? Uh, so, I, there's been a lot. Um, so apparently, there were, well, there's recent ones and later ones, but it's there's a cemetery at the end. Have you ever been there? No. So if you go, I've down, been on Texas Road, like showing houses, but so, I, I haven't been to this. So if you go down the road, eventually it turns into a dirt road, and then it eventually it hits a dead end. And at the dead end, people park their cars, and then you go into these woods. In, in the woods, there's like a little bridge that goes over, and that goes into a cemetery in the woods. Oh, good. So this yeah. is. Like full on. So I think all the I think all the stories were made, and I'm sure people correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the stories were all made along the way because people had this creepy area where there was like a thing in the wood, and I remember going there, and there's like cages in the woods for some reason. There's something about like, what did somebody tell me once that there was like if you go on a certain stretch of it, you'd see like a light. You'd see like a headlight or you'd see like a train light or something. Um, let me see here. Shining yeah. down the road and it was supposed to be like a so like a ghost train or something. Texas Road Story. Stories of Texas Road, Amherstburg, Ontario. Um, there's been a lot. And it was always like a fun thing to do when you're like a teenager. Yeah, like I'm gonna take you on a date. <laughs> We're going to Texas Road. <laughs> um, me and my girlfriend are planning on going. Yeah, see, this is a date. I'm <laughs> um, going to Texas Road. Like, I got you, honey. Hold my hand. This is gonna be just fine. Um, to Texas Road, and we're seeing if people want to join. Oh my God, this is this isn't a date. <laughs> um, have fun. Oh, the lights and power. Oh. This actually happened. One time we went there, we came running back. Because the, the scariest part of Texas Road to me is you park your cars and you walk 15 minutes into these woods. And when you have to go back, now you're walking back to anybody who came in after you knowing you're in there. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So now you're coming back. I think it's scarier just the weirdos and the people that pull in behind you and they see your cars and they know you're in there so now i'm coming back to people who are coming in and i'm like you better not mess with me like like, i'm worried they're gonna jump out and scare us or they're actually crazy people like who knows so that's the scariest part to me and one time we come running back and we're full of adrenaline and we're like oh this is crazy everyone's getting in their cars legitimately one of us locked our keys in our car Oh no! and we ended up having to call a tow truck company <laughs> and we were sitting at the dead end of Texas road for about an hour and a half. That legitimately happened. That was crazy. Um, so yeah, I'm there's, I'm not really getting like stories here. That's okay. We but like we one person did say here, we did once pull into the cemetery at 1155, lost all lights and power in the car for at least five minutes. Have fun. No explanation why this happened. I think everybody's got their story. Okay, so the yeah. question then is, let's let's relate this to the real estate world for a second because we are a, a Realtors for Life podcast. And, yeah. Um, does something like that affect the value of homes around that area? Yes. 
It does. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I. I mean, it depends on the person and the people that are. Like, but it doesn't matter when you say it depends on the person. What that means is there's a giant group of people yes. in the population yeah. that just would not consider buying a home in that area, which does fully affect the value. You've sold two houses now backing on, and I've done many, and I've had the same issue backing onto a cemetery. Yeah. And how did that go? Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a tough sell because some people, and you know, you have your cliche real estate line. Well, they're the, the quietest, quietest neighbors, neighbor, neighbors in the, in yeah, the world. quietest neighbors in town. Um, <laughs> and then, then someone's like, that's really weird. Um, there are people that, whether it's religious beliefs mm -hmm. or just superstition, I think superstition is the biggest one. Well, I think, I think cultural um, things play into it huge too, though, right? Like it's a cult, like for a lot of people in certain cultures, like it's, you know, to live on a cemetery is not even an option. Like it's yeah. like, because that's, a, that's a sacred thing. It's separate from, right, right what they... Yeah. I'd say there's... When it comes to the stigma of backing onto a cemetery, there's a lot of people that have a, a big superstition about that. You saw it. I mean, one of your biggest complaints when you had that listing on Lillian was it backs onto a cemetery. And right. it just creeps people out. Yep. And I, I personally, I don't think it would bother me. I think there would always be like this, this kind of weird feeling that like you know your friends would joke with you and like you, you kind of creep yourself out just getting your head well, but like you said some people care and some people don't but no matter what that, enough people that care affects, that affects the value of the home because you right. will get less offers on the home you'll have less interest right. and that equates to less dollars when it comes time <clears throat> to sell um i think one of the words the word that you use that is the the, the main point of this is is stigma Stigma is one of those things that it's it's not a completely perfect number that you can write down. And stigma applies to anything that could affect the value of a home that isn't to tangible. To be just someone who passed right? away. Right. It's not. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Someone used to grow drugs in that yep. home. I mean, the, the drug thing can also relate to actual house issues with moisture and all that. But yep. just the thought of somebody, there was a crime committed. Exactly. Or somebody had just peacefully passed away. Some people just aren't comfortable with that, and that's why it needs to be disclosed. But it is funny how a lot of this value is just based on people's superstitions and the stigma. On that, just shows you in the real estate world that you can measure something objectively all you want, but one of the biggest factors when it comes to purchasing real estate is the is the buyer's subjective value that they place on that property or, yeah. or, or on that house themselves, right? So you can't tell somebody what they have to spend on a home. You can give them every single piece of information objectively that you can to say, this is what we determine the house to be worth. And they could, that person, what if mom and dad live three doors down? Right. And they don't want to lose that house. And there's 15 other people writing offers and interest in that house, that person might bid fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 more than they need to to make sure that they end up being right. the one who gets that house, right. right? So that's fully subjective, you know, and they consider that 
I, I guess not an arm's length transaction, which means it's, you know, close to, to home and you, you, you shouldn't technically, if you had all the facts when you were researching these homes, you shouldn't even be using a home like that, selling like that as a comparable. Right. But unfortunately, we don't have all those facts when we're looking up and researching these homes in these areas for clients. We, we don't know. We just see that that house sold for mm-hmm. this many dollars and then that could affect the value of the home two doors down from it on the next sale and so on and so on mm-hmm. until there's 10 sales that are all based off of that one. It can be the smallest thing from like they had a small fire in the back of the house. Right. But it's all been remedied. Nothing's wrong anymore. No fire will happen. But because a fire had happened, people are out. That's an interesting thing that um, I think we've all dealt with uh, at one time or another. And I, I have had a few clients um, get scared off by a previous fire that's happened in a home. And um, I think it's something worth talking about because when a fire happens, whether it's a total loss or it's, um, you know, even just a small part of the home, I think what often happens is that home is it is renovated to a point where it's stronger in than way before. better condition yeah. than it was pre-fire. I've, I've seen many houses and, and no houses that are in like it'll be say let's say it's an old Walkerville home and I'll walk in and it feels like a modern brand new home and you know inspector will go up in the rafters in the attic and they'll say this is all brand new structure this is solid it's like a brand new construction yeah and it's because they had a fire and people are like oh it had a fire I don't think I'm interested and I get it people are worried that if there is there structural damage but when the insurance companies get involved and come back in they want it back to the state it was in before but they're using newer materials in today's world yeah. that are better than some of the materials. Arguably, sometimes not, but some of the materials they used in, in construction uh, 50 to 100 years ago well, sometimes are better. But Things that would be better for sure would be like electrical code. systems and plumbing and stuff that for they sure. would be, right? And just the engineering to some things now are more to code in today's times. They have they hold the load to what, what we have in our homes. But um, yeah, I, I think... There are certain times where, like, let's say a house is flooded. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, well, I don't want to buy a house that's flooded. Well, because it flooded, these people put a backflow valve, sump pump, waterproof the whole basement, and it's better than half the houses you're going to go see because it flooded, they remedied this home. And sometimes that's not the case, but just because it's flooded doesn't mean it's not a home that you should bid on. It yeah. just depends on how they remedy the issue and to what extent. And if sometimes it's like Fort Knox, people get so paranoid about flooding again, they spend... A ton of time. I've seen people. Well, that you had put, a house on Reedmere that, that had, had six, <laughs> six sump pumps, six sump two pumps. backflow valves, fully wrapped in the basement. <laughs> and one of our issues was, oh, your house had flooded. I'm not interested. Right. The house has six sump pumps, two backflow valves, and, like, and it's fr- fully it had, like, water. French drains all around the house on the outside. Oh, it was and... it was the driest house in the neighborhood. But somebody, you know, had that stigma. How? This is a. a question worth asking and I think a question um, a topic that clients will always bring up whether it's a fire or it's been a flood or it's been any other issue how does that potentially affect the insurance companies that they will then have to go to to get insurance for that home if that if that insurance company knows Mm -hmm. oh this house is previously flooded or oh this house previously had a fire what's the what what problems do they run into so a lot of the times if a house is previously flooded if it's in a a area that has a lot of claims for flood and say flood prone zone um 
you can still get insurance on the home, but they will sometimes come in and turn you away from any kind of um, flood protection. Flood protection. Yeah. So they'll say, look, you're in a, a flood zone. We will insure this home, but we're not able to give you flood protection on this home. Mm-hmm. Or it might be limited up to $5,000, or it might be a smaller a smaller thing. If you're now. in like a flood right. plane or something and, and like then that. They, but they... then the companies that will give you that, that insurance is going to be a higher premium, higher mo- premium. most likely. Um, it's the same thing with knob and tube. Most insurance companies want knob and tube electrical to be removed, yeah. but there are insurance companies that will insure it, and usually there's a higher premium to be paid. What about fire? Like, dude, does it matter? Because fire, fire is not typically something that will reoccur in the home, especially if it's been I, completely renovated. Would an insurance company be worried about that for the I don't second go around? I actually don't know 100%, but I would say, I'm going to guess no. Yeah. I'm going to guess no, because they'll probably see the history on the home that it was it was covered. Another insurance company took care of it. They may send an inspector out if they're really that worried about it. But I've sold homes that have had previous fires. I sold a home recently that had a car drive right through the front window and (laughs) the house like burned down and they had no issues um, with getting um, refinanced because the house was essentially newer and better. Their insurance could have arguably been less because of the work that was updated inside. But um, I don't know every insurance company's policy, so I don't know 100%. But... um, I think fire is one of those ones that is a one-time occurrence. It's not like you're in a fire-prone neighborhood. No. I think it's more the electrical services and things that they're worried about that could cause yeah, the fire. I think I think um, th- this is an important thing to talk about because um, you know, in the age of again, no conditions in these offers to be competitive. You mm-hmm. know, we you have to satisfy these conditions ahead of time. Didn't there used to be, you know, it. it insurance condition like in yeah. offers that said like you know you could take this offer you could get an, a conditionally accepted offer you could take it to your insurance company Insh- and you could make sure that you got financing inspection insurance were like the three primary right. insurance kind of phased out because a lot of people had the mindset well you can't sh- you can't sell, sell an unsure an unsurable home so right um if there ever ran into issues like that, it would somewhat void the deal. Is that is point. that true? Like if it if if I think there's an argument there, and that at, the lawyers would have a fight. Both sides would have an argument, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't want to ever have to go there. No. Um, but um, I think each side has their argument. Like one, you should have done your due diligence. Yep. Two would be the other one saying, "Well, you can't sell a home if this is an un- it's unsurable." Blah blah blah. Yeah, because. You know, we, we ran into this recently with a home with Kitech Plumbing, at which we talked about previously with Martin yeah. uh, on, a, on one of our podcasts. But Kitech is, is, is a it's slowly a becoming It's slowly becoming like a knob and tube issue. Right. It's a plumbing that, that was known to fail um, in, in, in various ways. And, uh, but insurance companies now, so there's Kitech anywhere between a, a house built 1997 to like 2007, 2007 right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of it in Windsor. Like there's a lot of it in South Windsor. A lot of your raised ranches. Yeah, a lot of raised ranches. Same with East Windsor has a lot of them. Right. Yeah. And um, honestly, it's just random houses still. Like sure. I'll go into a 1920s home and they updated and it they, right. sometime during that time. Right. And it's all Kitech. And and so you know then it became um, an issue for the buyers when they went to go get insurance, and literally none of the insurance companies that they called would take it on. None. In fact, they called the current insurance company that currently held and ins- had insurance on that home with the, and with they the seller it. and they denied the new buyers 
insurance because of that, even yeah. though they were currently insuring it yeah. at that point. So I think what we're going to see going forward, like you said, with, with things like knob and tube uh, wiring and this Kitech plumbing is less and less insurance companies are going to want to take on the risk of, of having these things. Mm-hmm. And so buyers just need to be aware that if the house does contain those systems, yeah. that they need to make a contingency plan. Okay, yeah. maybe... I've got to make sure that I have the money to replace this completely right. because I might not get insured. And for those that don't know what Kitech is or if you have Kitech, it's usually um, pretty easy to spot. It's, it's, it's not your newer PEX plumbing that you see that's like red and blue. Um, it's typically like an orange and blue. It will say Kitech on it. Or it'll say Plum Better. Plum Better is um, one. Um, and what's, what's wrong with it is it's, it's lined with an aluminum and the fittings are a brass, and the aluminum and the brass, I think, react together against yeah. each other. Well, they, yeah. And it causes it to swell, and it gets little blisters, and eventually those blisters and that swelling can cause it to expand and pop. And um, you could be at work right now, and if it expands and pops while you're at work, your basement could just be being flooded. Right. And it could be happening in the walls, and the thing is you can't see it, and you can't check it everywhere in the home. So insurance companies are starting to worry about flood, flood damage, and they're obviously getting enough claims that we're right. unaware of. Yep. And I think at the beginning that they claim that like 1% of homes, even if that was true, 1% of homes is still a lot of homes. But I think as it's getting older, they're getting, they're getting more and more cases of it. Yeah. Going back really quickly to things. I had pulled up the Amityville horror house. <laughs> and, um, okay. So now Amityville, big horror movie um, started in the seventies and then they've made iterations of this movie all the way through till basically a, a couple a couple of years ago i think Ryan Reynolds was in like one of the newer yeah. ones but this was a a real story but it was basically kind of adapted for hollywood um, but i think this was a real thing i think this amityville house is is it yeah it is it's a real thing you can, it says you can stay in it apparently Oh, no, thank you. Like right you. here, you can live in the Amityville Horror House. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> um, and this here, the real Amityville Horror, chilling facts about the crime and haunted house. I actually don't know the whole backstory about this house, but it's going back to stigma. I wonder now if this house would, and I'm going to bet that this house may actually sell for more Arguably at this point. worth more because, because, of, of, its because of its fame now. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's there's like a point where the stigma hurts the value of the home, yeah. but because it's been like dramatized into this big, like iconic home, yeah. it's probably worth a fortune. I bet it is. Yeah. yeah. Somebody and there's would probably buy some to... weirdo that lives in it because they're, they're into that weird kinky shit. Well, like shit. you just said, somebody could own this or maybe somebody owns this right now and, and could turn into an Airbnb. Just, like oh, what a Airbnb cool, it. what a cool Airbnb. hundred percent. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to lie. If, I wouldn't go stay in it, but you can go all you want, man. I'm, I, I don't know be, how much I believe, but... I'd be open to do it, but I don't know if I ever could because my wife would never stay at the Amityville Horrors unless I didn't tell her. <laughs> unless I didn't tell her. She, she rolls up and she's like, she's like, this house looks kind of familiar. Yeah. You're like, no, we've never been here before, honey. It's fine. Yeah. It's just fine. It's just a beautiful old home. I, I think that'd be the best thing is to find a super haunted house, but tell nobody that you're going with. Like, let's say you're going to... Niagara on the lake with friends. Google haunted houses, Niagara on the lake, Airbnbs, and like find one. Send everybody there. Don't tell them, and then after tell them and see if they had any weird like. You know that, that would happened. really be the only way to. Yeah. Uh, that would really be the only way to deal with it. I, I won't get into to too many details um, on this, and I don't really know too many details. But um, but one of um, my friends 
grew up in South Walkerville and uh, grew up on a, a, in an old, old house in South Walkerville. And um, their whole family had crazy experiences in this house. And, uh, and then eventually when they sort of had all moved out, but they still owned the house and they were renting these houses to tenants, these tenants all had experiences in this house as well um, without having any prior knowledge mm-hmm. of events that had happened in this home. And they don't even like talking about it. That's how Whoa. much it like they won't get into details. They won't they won't divulge any information about the events that happened to them because they they, they don't like bringing it up. They don't like talking about it. And to me, like, I don't know how much I believe one way or the other. Yeah. These, you know, ghost stories and these haunted things. But um, but but to me, the, the, the most poignant ones are things like that where they don't they're not bragging. They're not like, oh, I saw a ghost and, you know, I had this experience and this is what happened. And like, isn't that crazy? It's yeah. like it was traumatizing enough to them at the time that when you ask them about it, they're like, mm, like, I don't even I just don't want to talk about it. Our office um, is in Walkerville and uh, it was built in 1900 on the dot. Okay. By the way, that's this house that we're sitting in. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. 1900 on the dot. And I had an Airbnb on the second floor for about a year. And one of the gentlemen's and I was just like okay buddy like whatever (laughs) he wakes up and he said is this house ever had issues with hauntings or anything like that and I was like no but it was cool to hear he said I had a dream um and woke up from this dream and at the end of my bed was a man dressed in like 1920s clothes and he said his name was Frank and I'm thinking to myself you're sleeping next to your wife. If you woke up and saw a man at the end of your bed and he said his name was Frank, you wouldn't think he's a ghost. You'd be like, there's a guy named Frank in my house. And so anyways, for whatever reason, he felt like this guy's name was Frank and he felt like he knew it was a ghost. And I just blew it off and was like, whatever. But then I had another tenant who says, I want to know, ask you, is this house haunted? Um, by any chance, does the name Francis ring a bell? What? Yeah. Francis. Which is Frank. I think. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, or close to it. I'm pretty sure I, f- Like you could, the short form of Francis is Frank. So she had some reason to believe that the name Francis had something to do with this home. Whoa. So I tried Googling the address and I couldn't find anything. But this house was built in 1900s. Some guy that slept here claims to have witnessed some guy named Frank standing and walking in the round up here. And then some woman brings up the name Francis. So that's weird. Right. Is this all, but is it a coincidence or did they know I, each other? Are they messing with me? I, I don't know though. I guess the one thing it always comes down to for me yeah. in the end with all these stories is it's always, it's always a whisper of a, of a hint of something that somebody heard. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. never, it's never concrete this or like but that's what makes it fun exactly yeah you know and that's that's what and i always kind of keeps it upstairs we had photos of guys dressed in like 1920s clothes yeah prohibition era sure so and that gets so into he your probably dreams. went to sleep and dreamt something and thought he saw something but i swear to god one day if i'm renovating this house and i tear down a wall and there's like something about frank or francis <laughs> 
I'm a true believer for the rest of my life. 100%. Like, there's no way he 100%. would know. So, 100%. If, if Frank or Francis comes up one more time, hey, is this, I'm forever a believer. Is this house, is, it, is this considered I don't think historic? So. I don't think so. I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe because it's just vinyl siding. Maybe. And it's the architecture is not the same as some of the other houses. But um, that's an interesting thing, hey, because there's, there's a whole different set of rules if you own something that yeah. has a historic you're, designation. You're very limited on the exterior and the interior. Yep. Um, I get it. And I kind of, I'm glad that kind of thing exists. Yeah. Keeps it's the, cool. well, because Walkerville is such a cool neighborhood. Yeah. And I bet you there's tons of historic there's homes and buildings and stuff in this Walkerville neighborhood that that really have to abide by it. There's homes in this neighborhood that claim to have had Henry Ford. Yeah. Um, be at uh, well, the Monmouth Town homes were like where all the um, El Capone. The, the, the workers and everything stayed though, right? For yeah, for, uh, the is was it the brewery or the distillery? Yeah, right. That's I what all I went to Walkerville Monmouth, High School. Monmouth. And I got a hold of the janitor's keys on a weekend because I was doing backstage. And we went to this panel and the wall that we heard was how you access the tunnels. And I tried every key on the keychain, and I found it and it opened. And me and like three or four other people, if they're watching this, they know who they are. <laughs> I'm not going to say any names. Uh, I think we, we put our initials down on the wall down there. And when we went down, there was like this panel and you went in it. And it was a small room with wooden doors, like hatch doors. Are we talking like, is this prohibition, like, like rum running tunnels? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, so baby. we're in Walkerville. You go in this, this little hatch and it was like a staircase coming down in the school. And at the back of the staircase, like where one of the side doors of the school is, there's like these squared hatches. And we knew that this was a way in. We've been told, um, cause I think they actually had their rifle team practices down in these these tunnels so back in the day so anyways we open this hatch and in this hatch there's like old wooden doors like you'd see in an outside like storm yeah. entrance to yeah. like a basement and we went down in there and all the lights are on and there's plumbing so obviously the janitor has to go down there for plumbing and yep. electrical and it's all under the school yep. but then you see this dark hallway with no lights so we start following it down and we got our cell phone lights on and everything and we find this room and it's a room maybe two or three times the size of this room. And it has compressed barrels of hay. They were just like metal barrels, but then there was like hay completely compressed inside of them. And I found out from my history teacher, that's the old rifle room. Then that was where they shot it. And they still have the targets down there that they would shoot at down there. But past that, there's tunnels. And we stopped because it started getting full of water like ankle deep yeah and we were we were not dressed to be going through these tunnels so we stopped and we didn't know like if there was live electrical and we're walking through water we don't know so yeah. like rats could be in there so we didn't go any rats further are in there yeah so <laughs> these tunnels apparently connect all the way to willstead manor to some of the homes in walkerville Whoa. all the way down to the waterfront where they would run run all this stuff and 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 i know a friend that has a house in walkerville that has a door in the basement that's completely cemented off and it's illegal for them to open that door open because it's actual access to the, the the tunnels and it's illegal for them to access that because then they can get under other people's homes and they can Whoa. and do things um so yeah there's some really crazy history right below us that we you, aren't even aware of if you found a tunnel that like went under the detroit river and like like into the who knows i don't know i don't know we <laughs> right? we went to um the distillery for a wedding once and 
we poked around a little bit and we found another entrance to the tunnels and one of the waiting staff said yes that is another entrance to the tunnels um, so those tunnels expand all through here i'm sure there's a map or something yeah. you could find yeah. um but some of these houses have some crazy history that i bet you the people that live in them have no freaking clue like you could be sitting in a spot where some very famous historical person was sitting um it's a very cool area that way this i i consider walkerville to be um kind of a new downtown for yeah. windsor right like the downtown area of this city it's, has it's really nice it's nice deteriorated. and it's not it's nice and it's not i grew up in here in this area yeah. so i feel like it's being invaded somewhat yeah. um and like the air like the restaurants that used to be kind of more casual hangout have become more pub club style mm -hmm. and it's almost too clubby where but i do love that it's rejuvenated the area and it's brought life to the area and i love that they're investing in the area yeah. and i love that other people are investing in it and they're bringing back these buildings and restoring them to keep this neighborhood something special but i also worry that it's going to be like commercialized to a point where it's going to take away from it maybe yeah i think they're being really careful with they what are. they bring in here and, yeah, and they how are. they do it there's another area of the city that um we've really started enjoying um like my wife and my friends and i um ford city yeah i think they're finally really actually starting to kind of gentrify that area a little bit and you know they've got some really cool there's a there's a place called pressure drop yeah it's like a it's like a grass area between two buildings and they've got picnic tables they bring a dj out there um and you can order food from the surrounding um, restaurants like Grand Cantina, and there's a there's and a couple other and they bring it to your table. Come on, yeah, it's amazing. Like th these are these are things that I think Windsor needs to start seeing more of. And I'm, and I don't just mean bars and places you can drink, but I think um, we really need to start seeing a little bit more revitalization, and we're starting to see it, but not necessarily mm -hmm. in the downtown. Yeah. area we're seeing it in these little pockets in different areas of the city i know um because I mean, it's like at, almost like people are just writing off downtown and they're like you we don't want to erie street build something there ottawa street trulard wyandotte walkerville area yeah. and even river um, riverside wyandotte area yep are all turned into these like little micro um hot spots yeah and decumsey seeing a big like a big uh, yeah, boost they, right now yeah they are and i think everybody's kind of getting their own little niche markets i mean even look at forest glade with like parks and rec in that area and there they're like trying to get you know their own little complex going of of trendy things and yep. um i like it i, I do too i, I, I think like it's vibes, great but i just wish people could do you think that having detroit right there kind of detracted from the revitalization of the downtown area of Windsor because when they revitalized downtown Detroit, mm -hmm. it became, to me, it, it, it's like a mini New York. Like right. you go there and they've got like shops and, and right. new cute restaurants and little hidden lanes and, and a the, skating rink. And a, but then and the reason Windsor lodge. is primarily clubs and pubs downtown is because a big a big driving factor is the 19, 20-year-old kids that can't drink in the States oh, yet. Yeah. 
um, come here and it's kind of their hot spot and there's money to be made. So a lot of businesses have been opened up to make the clubs and the pubs. And that's why there's a lot of that down mm. downtown, but then it drives away businesses because they're worried about being this drinking, and, and fighting, and young... vandalism, things yeah. like that. So yeah, it's, this is the whole long topic on its own. There's um, a couple places now in actually in downtown, um, we ride our bikes down there. Um, but do you know, do you know where Maiden Lane is? Yeah. Like right by Acapulco yeah. Delight? Yeah. Um, you were talking about this on, the other day on too. On yeah. yeah. it's a really, it's a new, so it, there's Maiden Lane and then Maiden Lane, um, I think it's like Maiden Lane Wine and Spirits. It's like a, a beautiful new cocktail bar and they make unbelievable drinks and it's... Yeah, your plug. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> Maiden Lane, but, but really, really, really cool spot. We've been uh, a couple times in the last couple of weeks. You can sit outside in this in this lane um that is cars can't drive up and down anymore mm-hmm. um there's a there's a cute little boutique shop i think there's a lot of i think there's whiskey, a lot of streets. whiskey jacks on there a um, lot of streets in windsor that i think should just yeah cut, cut it yeah i i think there's there's hopefully um some some plans erie in, street would be really cool if they just said no more cars from this street to this street yeah. like i think those types of areas would be really really cool yeah as long as you're not um, and I don't think you would be in Windsor as long as you're not like um, really interrupting the flow of traffic by blocking off a street like that all of a sudden. Because I think there's enough east-west streets yeah, in got Windsor. Giles, where, you got Giles and Ottawa right? and exactly. all these things. Like, Do I you feel, need Erie to be a, a main... I feel like if you cut off just like maybe five or six blocks... Yeah. You could. I. I don't think Erie's that busy. It would hurt things too I much. Agree. People would just learn to, to navigate around it. But it, I think it would really help areas like that. Um, we're gonna end it there for today. Yeah, yeah. I think that was... But next week, I think we're gonna have Jill on, or the next podcast we're gonna have Jill on. So that'll be fun. Perfect. Um, and thank you, everybody. Have a, ha- have a happy October, and we'll yeah. we'll uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Sweet. Mm-hmm.